Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. This episode is awesome. You're going to love it. Um, we interview... Anna Kelly, we have a conversation with her. She's known as the REI mom. She she can be, uh, you can learn more about her at reimom.com. Um, but Anna went through, grew up in poverty and dealt with abusive situations within her family. Um, and however, she harnessed all that adversity and navigated that really well and latched on to hope and hard work and grit and sacrifice. And today she has an eight-figure net worth. Um, she's a huge multifamily syndicator. She has a lot going on in the real estate space. And um, the 10-year journey that we really talk about from where they, she and her family were kind of at rock bottom, uh, you know, uh, it, Within it, as far as their own personal financial situation. And then within 10 years, she really exploded um, in the real estate space. And she was able to work a full-time job, be a wife and mother, be a real estate syndicator and investor. And now she's an author, speaker, and a mentor. And to just see the... the Although there were a ton of ups and downs that, that Anna went through, to see the growth and the success and, and the fruits of her labor, um, it's just it's thoroughly inspiring. And she's been able to, you know, work hard at the at the the tasks that's in front of her and approach the day to day with, uh, like I said, grit and hard work, but also kind of step back and see the big picture. And now she's um, one of the more influential real estate investors out there. So we were, I'm very honored to have had Anna on the show. Um, you're going to love this. She drops a ton of knowledge and four or five excellent book recommendations toward the end, which is great. So buckle up. You're going to love this one. Investors, have you ever felt frustrated by your loan servicer, experienced challenging communication, or the headache of tracking taxes and insurance? Meet BiFi a loan servicing company founded by investors for investors. With an expert team and best-in-class vendors, BiFi will partner with you to service your loan from start to exit. Visit BiFiLS.com to see how you can get started today. That's B-I-F-I-L-S dot com. Welcome to the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. Are you an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur? Then this show is for you. 
Each week, we bring you impactful stories of real people who have overcome painful human adversity to create a life of abundance. You are not alone in your struggle. Join us and you will experience the power of true stories and gain practical knowledge from founders who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. This podcast will encourage you through your health, relationship, and financial challenges so you can become the hero in your quest for freedom. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live. Turn your adversity into abundance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I am your host, Jamie Bateman, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by a special guest, Anna Kelly, the REI mom. Uh, Anna, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's so good to be here with you. Thanks for joining us. I know you are got a lot of things going on, and so I, I appreciate you taking the time, and I know our audience will appreciate you taking the time to uh, share with us your story and and um, drop uh, some knowledge bombs for us. That would be fantastic. So for our audience, Anna, who is not familiar, anyone not familiar with you, what are you up to today? And and uh, give us a little bit of context uh, from, the, for, from the present day, if you would. Sure. So I am primarily a multifamily syndicator um, doing both value-add deals and new development multifamily properties, primarily in Texas and in Pennsylvania and the Raleigh, North Carolina area. I've been investing in real estate since 1998, got much more serious about it in 2009 after the great financial crisis, so the Great Recession. And I've done everything from fix and flips to small single houses to vacation rentals. I have 11 short-term rentals um, to small multifamilies. And that's really where I grew my wealth. I replaced mm. my six-figure corporate career at AIG about mm. four years ago and then moved nice. into much larger syndications from there. Oh, that's great. And our audience is uh, largely entrepreneurs uh, within that uh, entrepreneurial uh, you know, category. There's certainly a large subset of real estate investors uh, like myself. And I was able to quit my W-2 last year. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about, a lot we can unpack there from a business, um, you know, an entrepreneurial standpoint as well. So yes. um, and, and we'll certainly dive back into uh, later in the show uh, as to, uh, t- to touch on kind of market conditions and what you have going on today. I, I look forward to that. So before Great. we get there, though, we got to talk about some adversity, unfortunately. So, uh, <laughs> you know, as you know, Anna, not everything is rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. And, you know, I just quit my job and I just sit my ties yes. on the beach. Um so talk to us about some struggle that you've been through, uh, pick it up where you'd like to start, you know, um, you know, and, and uh, let's dive into your backstory. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that this show for, focuses on adversity because adversity is part of the human condition and we all experience some type of diversity at different points of our lives. And ultimately those that are successful often are not those that were handed an easy life on a silver platter or wealth to begin with. They're really people who have struggled and have made something of themselves despite adversity. So it's a really um, great topic and something that I think is, is really important. One, to motivate people that regardless of what you're going through, better is 
possible and you can control what that looks like into the future. Um, And two, just to show that it's not all sunshine and roses. Even if we seem to have arrived, there's many things that can go wrong, you know, health and relationships and, you know, bad deals, et cetera. So a little bit about my backstory that I think um, is, is important when I think about how I've overcome diversity. I also did not grow up with wealth or any any knowledge of, of money or how to become an entrepreneur or even the thoughts of becoming an entrepreneur or real estate mogul, if you will. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Section 8 housing. So my mm. parents divorced when I was very young and mm. my mom was a single mom had a couple of very abusive husbands. And so I'm the oldest of six of us. And my mom worked really hard to get out of abusive situations, unfortunately got back in. And so she worked, you know, two jobs to be able to survive. And that left me basically a turnkey child of a mother who loved me and who worked hard and 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 supported me and encouraged me to um, be the best at whatever I could to work on getting an education and getting out of the type of environment that we were in. But there was a lot of sadness in my childhood and um, a lot of fear in my childhood. Um, but those things are really what propelled me to become very, very driven and to realize that if I wanted a different life than what I had as a child, if I didn't want my children to be in an abusive situation or to spend evenings in a women's shelter like I had as a child, if I wanted better for myself and my family, I had to be willing to do whatever it took um, to succeed and to get myself out of that situation. So I'm Mm -hmm. thankful that I knew I had a choice and that there Mm -hmm. were things I could do, but I certainly did not have an easy childhood. Yeah. And and obviously we're not going to, you know, pick that apart too far but um you know it it's um unfortunately it sounds like you've dealt with you know we find on this show most of the types of adversity or most of the examples of adversity fall into primarily one of one or more of three categories um health financial or relationship that's been one of my observations in having done this show uh, for almost a year now and we all deal with that on some level uh yes. challenges within those three categories on some level sounds like you've certainly dealt with at least two uh of those three categories uh you know the the relationship and financial and yes. um talk to us a little bit more just give us a little bit more context as to know how things were growing up for you if you would yeah i will say this um my again my mother loved us and she was a very good mother um but she just wasn't home a lot because of what she was dealing with and my parents were divorced my father and stepmother um married a few years after my parents divorced and they i thought were very rich in reality Mm. my dad was a construction worker and my stepmother Mm. was a school teacher and so they were an average you know working class family but Mm. i did see that you know when there's not drugs and alcohol involved when there's Mm -hmm. a cohesive family unit you know, mm-hmm. going to church together, really focusing on the family, that it's like night and day what it's like to grow up in Section 8 housing, you know, with a single parent that's struggling to survive. And so I really had a lens of, you know, worldview that allowed me to see if I want my life to look like this, mm-hmm. there are steps I'm going to need to take to ensure that it looks like this versus if I don't change, you know, certain things, then this is what that would look like. And so, mm-hmm. you know, 
it's one of the things that kept me from ever doing drugs or or drinking excessive alcohol because I mm-hmm. understood that that was very common. And mm-hmm. some of that's because in poverty, there's not a lot of hope. Children mm-hmm. and adults don't have a lot of hope that things will get better. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're self-medicating in some ways emotionally. And that's another thing that I, I said, you know, I, I can't give up. Um, I remember sitting in this big tree and it's interesting because I went back to this apartment complex that I grew up in for, I think, 12 years of my life. I used to sit in this tree and just cry and kind of dream. And I remember thinking there's no hope and then mm. battling with myself and saying, yes, there is. I see mm. what it looks like for my friends whose parents went to school, um, who have degrees, who have a little bit more money. And mm-hmm. I know that I there's hope that I can have a life like that in the future. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's really important. And something innate in me, I think, even from a very young age, said, I can change what my future looks like, but Mm -hmm. that means I have to be very determined and very focused, and every decision I make can either lead to more abundance or more um, Mm -hmm. challenges in life. So I I think that's kind of a theme of my life from the point of, you know, middle school, trying to be the best, you know, flute player that I could or make straight A's, uh, trying to get a scholarship. When I went to to school, I graduated high school early and I went to school year round while I worked full time year round and graduated mm. early from college. I was just very driven and determined that I'm going to work harder than my friends. I'm going to study harder than my friends. I'm going to, you know, succeed and get this degree. And in my mind, once I graduated from from college and had a really good job, all my problems would be over. You know, it was naive of me, but I'm glad that the mindset at least allowed me to get to that first level to say, I can be independent, I can have nice things, um, and I don't have to worry about a man taking care of me, quite honestly. Sure. No, that's that's great. I mean, it's it's un- obviously unfortunate that you had to go through all those the struggles with regard to poverty and and um, being involved in at least seeing abuse and and that kind of, kind of thing. Yes. But it sounds like on some level, it, what popped into my head was the uh, rich dad poor dad. You, it sounds like you kind of had a little bit of a glimpse into both worlds, um, kind of the the poor world and the quote unquote rich world. And and what I'm also hearing is that you realized fairly early on that a hope is hope is critical and yes. b that you do actually have a lot of control in in your life um as to how your your life ends up and i think yes. that's that's one thing that you know i made a mindset shift um i don't know going 7 8 years ago uh where instead of and just speaking personally here instead of watching the the national news and and being absorbed with international issues that I have zero control and influence over. How about I start looking at who's in my network? What strengths do I bring to the table? And what can I absolutely influence and control? Because we certainly can't, there are plenty of things we can't control, but I think we do have a lot more control over a lot of things uh, in our life than we often give ourselves credit for. So I'll get off my, I'll get off my soapbox. um, But um. Now, walk us through, you you mentioned graduating from college early. Um, Walk us through from that point, kind of up through today, if you would. 
Absolutely. So one of the things that happen, and again, I think, you know, luck, people say, okay, you're lucky, right? They don't understand the backstory and all the adversity to get where you are. But I do believe that, you know, when you're prepared and preparation meets opportunity, that's Mm -hmm. what we call as luck. And so I, I will say I had a roommate who had gotten a job at Bank of America and they were starting a private banking department back in, I think, 1997 or early 1998. And they were looking for, master's MBA um, people to come and join their private banking program to teach us to become financial advisors and go through our securities uh, licenses and then work with the top uh, most wealthy clients in the bank, the top 10% ultra high net worth. And my roommate said, hey, my roommate doesn't have an MBA, but she worked full time. She just graduated college. She's been an employee of the year at her company. You should really interview her. And so they asked me to come interview for this position. And I went in not with a, oh, I'm not qualified, but man, if I could get through what I did, I can do anything and I'm going to go in and wow them. And, and I did. And, you know, I'm very, very thankful that they took a chance on me, but they gave me a position in private banking and taught me for the first time in my life about money and how wealthy people continue to preserve and grow their, their wealth as well as their income. And so that was a huge turning point in my life where I understood discipline and determination, but you also have to understand money and how it works to know that you can create a better financial future than what the average American has, you know, much less uh, poverty, which is really hard to get out of. But even the average American, you know, 70% live check to check to check, no matter how much money they make. Um, And so there's, there's a struggle in chasing this American dream. So getting that job in private banking and working with very wealthy people opened my eyes to uh, the kinds of choices that I could make once I had money. And I learned from them about what did you do to get to where you are today? And just to kind of piggyboard, you know, piggyback to the next level, I remember talking to one of our clients. Back then, we offered a, a CD. It was in the 8% range in the late 90s. And mm-hmm. I remember this older gentleman laughing at me and saying, sweetheart, you know, I make much more than that in my real estate investments. And mm-hmm. I realized two years in into private banking that I hadn't taken a single course on real estate and I knew nothing about it. And I mm-hmm. thought, well, wealthy people own real estate. And they make better returns than they do here. I need to at least start giving it some thought and start researching. And that led me to buy my first property, which was just a condo that I moved into instead of paying rent in an apartment building. And then I went to work for AIG. And working for AIG, it's one of the largest financial institutions in the in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I started working with products and product development, working with ultra, ultra high net worth individuals, banks, and institutions, and learning how do they invest their money. How do they grow Mm -hmm. wealth? And that really led me to starting to decide, I'm going to keep my corporate job. I'm going to keep moving up the corporate ladder, Mm -hmm. keep making my income, but we're going to strive hard to pay off all the school loans, to, Mm -hmm. to pay off the cars, to get out of debt. And to start really investing and real estate was was one of the ways that I started investing from there. Yeah, no, that's uh, I can relate to a lot of that. Um, you know, and one thing I want to just emphasize is that you didn't have the whole path revealed to you beforehand, right? And you no. none of us do, right? But it sounds like you were able to kind of focus on the task at hand and really step up with regard to schooling or your or your 
prior employment and just doing the best job you could with what you were given at that time. Yes. And then opportunity presented itself. And then you made the most of that as well. So, right. you know, for people, for the listener out there who they don't maybe see the opportunity right now, they haven't been presented that opportunity. I, I would just encourage people that just do the best you can right now with what you're working on. You know, it's not to say you shouldn't analyze things or strategize or plan, but ultimately, you know, if, if we're given kind of smaller responsibilities initially to work through and work, you know, work with and and um, produce in that capacity. And then opportunity presents itself. And it sounds like you uh, made the most of that. And then you were also able to learn from, you know, these high net worth individuals Hey, what are they doing? Uh, in, you know, and, and I'm sure you've reinvented the wheel on some level. But if if this is working for this person, let me copy what they're doing and see kind of you know pull out lessons learned uh, from them. And again, I'm putting putting words in your mouth, but yeah. uh, I know for me that's what I do. It's like why this is working for someone else. I can follow what they're doing on some level and kind of make Absolutely. it fit, fit my uh, circumstances. And go from yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, one of the things that just, it's really important what you just said is, is doing the best you know how to do. You know, you're not going to have it all figured out. And I'll say that because of my background, I'm very much a planner. Like, this is my next goal. This is how I'm going to achieve it. I'm going to drive to to reach those goals. And so I do have that. But what I realize is you can make a lot of plans and you can get really good at something, but then there's other things in life that can completely derail that. And it doesn't mean that what you've done or what you've learned is for naught, but they become building blocks and lessons for you to say, okay, I've got this piece. Now this thing's going wrong. Now let me really focus on learning and growing in the next area and just keep doing the next right thing. And so, you know, an example of that is, is after a few years of being, it was about 10 years in the financial financial uh, world working with the the highest net worth um, individuals, banks, and their brokers and advisors, I thought I had gotten really smart about investments. Now, I wasn't wealthy yet, but I was starting to save. And most of it at that time was in my 401k. I had dabbled mm -hmm. in real estate, but I didn't have big down payments to put on things. And so I just kept investing in my 401k. And I have to tell you, Jamie, in 2009, I was completely blindsided and devastated by the Great Recession, you know, AIG being in the news that they were mm. shutting their offices in New York and these companies I had been invested in were failing. And I'll never forget like the, the most low day other than in my childhood was, mm -hmm. you know, in 2009, a day that we were on the news, I was told we're probably going to lose our jobs. Mm -hmm. And I looked at my 401k and it had lost about three quarters of its value. And that was all that we owned. And the same week I found out I was pregnant with baby number three. And we had just wow. started a business in 2007. So, we, you know, we talk about these building blocks. I went from being an employee and having that mindset to, I want to be home with my kids and mm -hmm. I want to grow wealth. So my husband needs to become an entrepreneur and he needs <laughs> to start his own business and work for himself. So we moved my whole family across the country and started a job with a lot of debt in 2007. So we had paid off all this debt early, a personal debt, but I had been convinced that we're at the top, we're at, at a great economy. It's only going to get better. You got to go into business debt and it's different than personal debt. And so we we made that mistake. We learned from no personal debt, but we didn't learn about no business debt 
or Mm. starting a business when we understood nothing about economic cycles and the fact that we were heading in a downward recession. There were warning signs, but we didn't know anything about it. So for a while, I beat myself up, you know, for a couple months in 2009 going, how did I miss this? How did we miss this? I tried to do all the right things. And yet here we are wiped out about $700,000 in business startup debt plus the building, no 401k, pregnant with a third baby, and AIG was our only income. And it was a devastating few months that I had that decision again. Like, am I going to learn from these things? Um, Be thankful that I made the best decisions that I knew at the time, but say now that there's adversity, I'm either going to give up or I'm going to say I have hope. And once again, I'm going to figure out how to make the next best decision until I climb out of the debt mm. and build up, you know, the the retirement again, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot to to deal with for sure. I can't even imagine. I mean, and you know, it's easy to say, but um, no one saw it coming really on the the level that it that it did happen. Right. So you weren't alone in that sense. Um, you know, I, I don't think anyone fully predicted the the crash that occurred. But um, so, how did you, what lessons did you learn? I mean, you you referred to no business debt. Do you is, is that are you just completely anti business debt, or um, how do you approach that? You know, I think a couple of le- really big lessons learned. One is that you can be really smart and really good and specialized in one area. For example, um, being an entrepreneur in a certain type of business. Um, mm-hmm. So my husband was a chiropractor, right? He could be the okay. best chiropractor that he could be. I could be the best real estate investor I could be. But if I didn't understand the economic factors that could impact me, even if I tried to make all the right decisions at the same time, then I may make poor decisions about the timing of when I start a business, when I take on that debt, what type of debt and how much I take on, for example. So if I had watched the economy, even though we were blindsided and major, major financial institutions were kind of blindsided, there were warning signs since Mm. early 2006. And there were people writing articles saying, there's a housing crisis going to happen. There's, mm-hmm. there's this crisis going to happen. There's too much derivatives and debt and risk and you know in these mm-hmm. financial institutions. But I wasn't reading any of that. I didn't think mm-hmm. economics really mattered. I thought I had more control than I really did. So I learned to become a student of the economy, understand real estate cycles, because I'm now all in real estate, and understand economic cycles, at least to the point that I watch the warning signs to say, are we closer to the peak or are there signs that we might be in in a declining economy or in hitting a recession. So that was the first thing. The mm-hmm. second thing was that that debt. Um, generally speaking, I am opposed personally to any debt unless it's very, very, very stable, low leverage, and able to be covered by the income that comes in. So real mm-hmm. estate debt, I'm very comfortable with. I have tens mm-hmm. of millions of dollars in real mm-hmm. estate debt, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's debt that for the most part is fixed fixed for a long period of time and sure. has is providing housing in areas that have significant housing demand, very low housing supply, really great jobs, great schools, and low crime. Those are kind of my check mark that if it doesn't have that quality of asset, I don't want to put a lot of debt on it. The quality of the asset and the location of the asset in very financially strong areas makes a big difference as to the level of risk taking on that debt has. 
And then the third thing, and then I'll turn it yeah. back over to you, that I really learned was, again, um, just a reminder that we are we have a choice in our life of the kind of life that we want to create. And I determined that um, despite lots of no's, right, I wanted to, to own more real estate. I realized my husband's job, his, his entrepreneurship business wasn't going to save us. I couldn't depend on even one of the largest employers in the world for my job security or our family's financial security or my retirement accounts. What everybody was still doing was paying me rent despite not despite the economy. So I realized I need to take more control and build my income as well as my future on things that I had more control of. And so I moved really completely to real estate from that point on and made the decision that every decision every day, I'm going to not take no for an answer. Lenders weren't lending. Properties were there, but I couldn't get financing. Um, Mm -hmm. Not to take no and to continue to push and push and get creative and find other ways to buy property, for example, um, so that I could continue to to create the life of my dreams um, one step at a time, one action at a time, no matter how long it took. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you just very well articulated the the three lessons that you learned from from all of that financial hardship, and um, I just love it, it's a central theme for our show here is just taking ownership, not continuing to have a victim mentality. Yes, yes we, we we are all victims in some sense, right, of certain circumstances and things, um, but it it doesn't get you very far to 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 stay there um mentally so i love that mindset shift of taking action but also as you as you emphasize not just one step it is one step at a time but it does sound like you also kind of were able to take a wider view of things as well and say how does the market play into all of this um you know and and kind of be more be strategic about it but then able to kind of zoom back in and focus on the day to day. So that um, I've heard this referred to as like a rubber band in marketing, where you kind of, you you blast out to That's a bigger, a big, bigger uh, audience, if you will, and then you zoom back in. And, and yes. it sounds like you've been able to kind of navigate that from a planning and, and um, action, uh, you know, uh, point of view, if you will. Yeah, I think in hindsight, it seems more that way than it probably was in my mindset at the time. At the time, it was like, what happened? What can I learn from this? Um, it was really initially like fight or flight, right? Like, okay, I've lost almost all my 401k. Here's an example uh, of making just a good, like nuanced micro decision. Lost most of my 401k. Companies are still going under. I need to pull it out. I know as a financial advisor, we're told never, ever, ever take out your 401k. Um, sure. I said, if I lose my job, I get a severance package. I may have to pay this back, but I took a 401k loan and I saw a building for sale across the street, a four unit, and it would bring in about $1,200 a month after all expenses. And I thought I'm having a baby in a few months. I could lose my job, but if I have another $1,200 a month, that'll pay for formula. If I can't nurse, it'll pay for, you know, um, for food, et cetera, to put on the table. And I knew that at least we would be okay. Like my mortgage was covered by my tenants. I lived in a four unit, which was another good decision I made the year before Mm. to just live below my means. So we had tenants paying, we bought that building. And I thought, 
Maybe in the future, I'll regret that I took out the money. But right now, here's one thing I can control. I can buy that building, have $1,000 more a month, and we'll be okay today. So it was very micro decisions like that, like just make the best decision I can. And then as I started really studying the economy, and as banks kept saying no, I'm like, why are they saying no? I have a great job. I have great credit. Um, AIG was in the news every day that they were laying people off and real estate was Mm. crashing. So no, I wasn't a good risk (laughs) to these lenders. But I thought, what is what is happening and will it change? And when I started studying the markets, I learned about economic cycles that the most opportunity is at the bottom when everyone's afraid. So that sure. did kind of open my eyes to go, wait a second, if this is the bottom and I have more opportunity and there's tons of properties out here like I've never mm-hmm. seen before, I just have to figure out how to get them financed and how to buy them when I have no money. So that became the macro picture was, I'm not going to say no. There are ways that investors are still doing deals without their own money, right? That's what we were sold in late night uh, infomercials (laughs) about no money down deals. Now I need to figure out how can I buy properties with no money? Because I knew if I could buy a bunch at the bottom when there's no competition, that over time, those properties would go back up in value create me more cash flow. And so at that point, I started to think a little more, you know, of the big picture that I just got to make one decision every day, day by day, one more property, one more property, get as much as I can, however long it takes. And from then on, I've had a very macro perspective of um, where is the market and how should that impact what I do, what I buy, when I sell, et cetera. Well, it makes sense. You've just gotten more sophisticated in your your investing approach. Yeah. Um, but I will say, I thought Brandon Turner and Bigger Pockets created uh, house hacking. So there's, you know, there's no <laughs> way you could have been doing that back then. Now I'm kidding. You don't have. <laughs> you don't have to respond to that one. But uh, yeah. no, it is a very powerful way to go for sure. If someone's in that position, you know, um, to to live in a four unit, for example, and collect rent from three sets of tenants and have them pay your mortgage. Um, so that that's uh, that's really smart. So kind it's of extremely if you could... powerful. That was another yeah. lesson. You know, I, I knew that in order to expand my means in the future, and really at that time, all I wanted, Jamie, was to be home with my kids. I'm like, if I can just get my husband's business up where it makes what I make, I'll mm-hmm. be home. I wasn't even thinking about wealth. I was just thinking, I sure. want to be home with my kids, have enough income. And so, you know, I made that decision that, in order for me to move across the country and take on the risk of a new business, which we knew 95% of businesses fail in the first five years or so, then we need to downsize our life and not turn around and buy another big house. So we had learned that. And Mm -hmm. so we, we lived below our means. And to this day, if we hadn't lived below our means and house hacking was a way for us to do that, we never would have had the extra money to, to start investing again and to even work toward expanding our means. And because we've always had that mindset of let's live below our means while we work to expand our means, both of those things have to happen at the same time if you mm-hmm. really want to change your financial future and mm-hmm. really want to grow wealth. Now, that's a very, very good point because it's really easy for us to gloss over that point as far as the, yes. the personal sacrifice that it requires to tighten your your belts and tighten your budget at that point because yes. you, you didn't necessarily need to maybe, uh, but for your future, you needed to. Yeah. Um, so compare and contrast, if you would, kind of that low point uh, versus today, what do things look like for you today? 
You know, Jamie, I I pinch myself. I truly, truly am am extremely blessed, and I believe that. You know, I I believe um, that that God has blessed us and and opened up opportunity. At the same time, that I I recognize that I made some really good decisions, um, thankfully, out of the really poor decisions. But in you know, from two thousand nine until uh, twenty eighteen. Uh, 2019 actually is when I actually retired from AIG. I didn't lose my job during that 10-year period, which was shocking because we kept saying we were going to. Um, And so I had a really good um, position that was not easy to replace. But essentially, for 10 years, we lived below our means. We did not buy a house for years. We rent After we house hacked, we ended up with four children. So we ended up renting a house for several years while we bought other small properties with the money instead of a down payment on a home. But that 10 years of significant sacrifice where we did you know everything we made in our real estate investments we put back into buying more we didn't live on any of it and so we lived below our means for 10 years and then 4 years ago when i retired from aig i had enough cash flow consistent in our rentals at that point i built about 100 units of my own in that 10 year period um, that seemed to take forever it was 70 80 hours a week of sacrifice and then i started doing joint ventures of larger apartment buildings before i actually left AIG four years ago and then syndication. So, you know, now I have an eight-figure net worth. I've, I've done a couple thousand dollars in multifamily real estate. Myself and two partners own another 250 units. Um, and then we do syndications of, you know, several thousand units at this point. So it's been, it's night and day, the position that I'm in today where you know my husband's now retired from his chiropractic uh, business. I'm retired from AIG. I still work, but you know, for me, instead of 70, 80 hour weeks for a decade, now I work because I want to, because I get to build a bigger legacy and help investors and things of that nature. But I work significantly less hours than I ever have, probably 30 to 35 hours a week. But I'm blessed that because we started this journey and didn't give up 10 years ago, um, that if I never did another deal a day in our lives, we would be set for the rest of our lives because of, of what we built and the sacrifices we made for a decade. That's fantastic. That's congrats. I mean, that's phenomenal. Thank you. Um, and uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's so easy to to look at someone's success and say, well, they you know must be nice or uh, they're an overnight success. And if you you know, it was a long journey to get where you are. I know it was. Yes. And if, if you look back on where you were in your childhood, um, it certainly was not a up and to the right straight line to success or a ton <laughs> no. of ups and downs and a lot of sacrifice for sure. Um, but yeah. it's just fantastic. I mean, to see that, you know, for the listener out there that it is possible, um, you know, they they may not end up exactly how how you are, you know, how your, right. your whatever your lifestyle is today, but, um, but they absolutely, if you have a long-term view, um, and you're willing to sacrifice, put in the work, you absolutely yes. can get from adversity to abundance. And absolutely. You know, I don't pretend on this show that Anna Kelly has no more problems. And, you know, <laughs> uh-uh. we know that we all still have problems, but yes. it's amazing the growth that you've you've experienced through your through your life. So just kudos to you. It's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. One thing I'll just throw out there too. I, I'm I'm really a firm believer being able to look back on my life. And I think you first reached out to me because of a book that I wrote where we kind of talked yep. about, you know, that 
that journey to abundance from that adversity. But I've really learned to look at every challenge in life as not happening to me, but happening for me. Because when we go through adversity, when we go through challenges, it forces us to rise up and not accept complacency in the status quo or victim mentality. We have to say, okay, this is a challenge. Um, How am I going to use this challenge and see it as a blessing and an opportunity that's going to set me up for that next level, level of growth? And if I hadn't been through all the challenges I've been through, I never would have even gone down the path of real estate. My life would have been easy and comfortable, and I would have thought, okay, this is fine. But those challenges made me think, what can I do to overcome this This is happening for me, and I can either take advantage of what's happening for me, or I can stop and play the victim mentality and say, this is happening to me. I'm just not the kind of person that that good things happen to. Um, And so I think that's an important mindset shift as you go through adversity, and you will many times in your life. How can you use this to better you as a person, to make you wiser, to make you more compassionate, and then just uh, make good decisions through every challenge as, as a blessing and an opportunity rather than happening to you? I love it. Yeah, there's not much for me to add there. That's that's fantastic. Um, I'm going to fire off some uh, some questions, and uh, we'll we'll see where see where it goes. Great. What's one What's one thing that people misunderstand about you? I think people think that I've always been, you know, really driven by money or success or a job. And really, that's not the case. I was always driven by, I just want to be okay. I want to not ever be in a situation that if my husband died or left me or was disabled, that I couldn't take care of myself and my children. Um, And so it really was just about being able to take care of of myself and it led to so much more. And so, you know, now I I work and I do deals not because I need more money or want more money. I'm really not driven by the money, but mm-hmm. what kind of impact and legacy now can I leave? Um, because mm-hmm. I don't want to just sit on the beach and eat bonbons every day, although that would be really enjoyable. Um, it yeah. wouldn't really help me to live up to a greater purpose to give back to this world. And so today I work and do deals because I can. I'm blessed to be able to do it. And I I see they're, they're a bigger purpose for the rest of my life than just, you know, doing more deals or things that are going to make me millions of dollars more. Sure. Yeah. I love it. it. Both things can be true at the same time. Money can be very important. And I believe it, it is. Money yes. and wealth uh, are very important and can be used in very positive or very negative ways. Yes. Uh, you know, it, so it's, I don't like that unfortunately some people bury their heads in the sand and they say well you know money's not the not the answer well it's pretty important to understand how money works and and it's but at the end of the day it's not the end goal it's not the end all be all so you've been able to kind of keep that in perspective uh so that's great um what's one of your biggest failures or something that you'd prefer to maybe have a do-over on Mm-hmm. You know, in that 10 years that I was really working hard to be able to be home with my kids, I was so laser focused on the goal um, that I was not going to take my foot off the gas ever. I filled every waking possible moment with looking for deals, renovating deals, um, you know, becoming a better real estate investor. And I did all of that for my kids. I wanted to be home with my kids, but I missed out on a lot of opportunities to be more fully present with my kids, to take vacations, to take weekends off, to take breaks. And so, you know, I'm glad that everything worked out, but my biggest regret is that I didn't just 
just say, you know, time with them. For example, my my 19-year-old who's now in college, he wants to do real estate full-time, but for years he hated it. He's like, I hated it. We mm-hmm. missed birthdays. We missed events. We never went on vacation. I slept on grody apartment floors while you painted in the middle of the night. Like it wasn't, even though I thought, well, they're with me, I wasn't present and it wasn't a great experience for them. Sure. So I, I wish I had a do-over for that. Took Even yeah, if no, it took it's... me another couple of years to retire. Right, right. And I can you know, empathize just any, whether it's in real estate or not, just being an entrepreneur is it's, it's very easy. No one's there to tell you to stop working. Right. <laughs> um, and if you work full time, like you did before, yeah, you know, yeah, I was exactly. working full time and running yep. my husband's business and doing real estate. It's easy to fill up, you know, your, your entire day with just trying yeah. to create financial freedom. And, and if you're not careful, you can become a slave to the pursuit of financial freedom. And that's not good either. Yep, absolutely. Um, if you had to write another book this year, what would the topic be? I'm actually working on one. Well, um, there you and, go. And it's really about creating life by design and for a greater purpose and just the resilience to never give up on creating the future that you hope for. It's fantastic. Any idea when that will be will be out? Hopefully by the end of this year. Awesome. I've got work to do. <laughs> it's a, yeah, I've never never written a book, but uh, I used to be in, be an editor, and I know there is there's a lot behind the scenes that goes into that. So, yes. um, what's one thing in your business or uh, real estate investing that you just didn't expect? You know, surprise, good, bad, or or ugly. Otherwise, <laughs> something that's really wow. surprised you looking back. Just how incredible the opportunities are out there to create wealth. Real estate really is the greatest wealth creator known to man. Mm -hmm. And it has been historically. And, you know, in the beginning, I was a little cynical that I could do it until I had enough money saved up to retire because we're told by our financial advisors and every, you know, thing that you read out there that the goal is to just set a little aside all the time. And eventually, you know, when you're 65, you can enjoy life. I was really surprised at, especially starting at the bottom, at how quickly you really can create wealth, even when you don't have a lot of money. It's not easy to do so. Um, It's hard work. It takes a significant amount of time, but it is possible. And I was really surprised by that because at first I just dabbled in real estate for years. I flipped a house thinking I would make a bunch of money because HGTV told me I could, right? And it didn't work out so easily or the market crash and it didn't work out so easily. So although it's not easy or get rich quick, um, Mm -hmm. real estate, when I look back and say, wow, I was able to to go from negative net worth to eight figures in a decade, I'm really still surprised when I look back that, wow, I can't believe I was actually able to achieve that. That's great. Um, That's really good. So what uh, what's one thing that you're working on right now? What's what's a challenge you're facing in your in your business right now? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, in this market, we're back to very similar conditions in terms of the credit and lending markets as we were post 2009. So because there's rapid volatility and changes in 
the Fed's monetary policy and basically interest rates. And there's questions about how long it's going to last. When will the Fed pivot? Will we have a deep recession? Will we have mass inflation? Banks are extremely nervous. And so what's that, what that's doing is even if you're extremely credit worthy, have lots of assets and net worth and experience, they're offering very low loan-to-value loans today compared to where they were you know, a year ago and really compared to where they've been since about 2012. So you know, we are post-decade um, of easy, monetary policy and an upward, um, upwardly mobile economy. And so, you know, we've had big apartment deals, both um, existing value add and development where lenders are issuing term sheets saying, yes, we can do 75% LTV. And they call you back a week later and say, oh my goodness, our board says pencils down, no more loans, or we can only lend you 45% or 55%. Despite the strength of us, despite the strength of the asset and and the location, the market really is really difficult to finance deals right now. And so Mm -hmm. that's a challenge. Sure. And it's a lot lot bigger challenge than, you know, when you were buying your first, you know, single family rental, you know, because there are a lot more moving parts and, uh, partners and the whole equity stack and all that. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot going on there. So and it, it forces you again to get creative and say, okay, yeah. there's lots of money out there. And how do we structure a deal in a way that's going to make the lender happy, private equity partners happy, private investors happy, and still generate good risk-adjusted returns? So it forces us to always up our game when we have new challenges, for sure. Absolutely. You mentioned the three three markets that you're focused on. Is there... Uh, can you speak to that a, a little bit? Why why those three markets? Absolutely. So one of the things that I've I've really learned over time is if you want a dependable business plan, you want dependable finances, you need to invest where the income is dependable. And the way that you do that is you make sure that you're in markets where jobs are plentiful, that all the people that are living in your apartment complexes, for example, or your single family home, if they lost a job tomorrow, they could find another job in their backyard without having to move or without having to go on assistance and not be able to pay you. So while I'm very philanthropic in terms of what I do with my money, I've learned to not cater to those that don't have enough money that are living check to check that 60% of them are not going to be able to pay rent, right? Mm -hmm. I've also lived through the pandemic which we didn't even talk about with a couple thousand units having to figure out how do we deal with paying bills and contractors and mortgages if our tenants can't pay. So having gone through that, it's really important in terms of where you buy your investments that you're in cities that are pro-growth, pro-jobs, low taxes, uh, good cost of living, great schools, low crime. All of those factors are really, really important. And primarily where we find that I might be partial because I'm a Texan, um, but is in Texas. And so I'm investing heavily in the Dallas-Fort Worth market, Houston, Texas suburbs, some suburbs of Austin. Um, But those are markets that are very pro-growth and pro-business and bring a ton of people. So people are leaving states like California and New York and New Jersey and Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, and they're Mm -hmm. moving to Texas and Florida and Georgia. Raleigh, North Carolina is a lot like Austin. 
Mm. without all the homelessness and it's still Mm. politically pretty conservative and landlord friendly but there's Mm -hmm. a ton of high-tech high-paying jobs Um, it's a financial hub and there's not enough uh, supply for all the people that are moving there and that's a big factor is supply and demand if you're investing in great areas but it's been overbuilt and there's not a lot of demand or population growth then you're going to struggle with rents into a recession just like you would if you're you know in a class c c minus type neighborhood so those are the reasons that I invest in, you know, Raleigh, North Carolina, and Texas primarily. I've also owned a couple complexes in Atlanta, Georgia, and it has really strong fundamentals as well. Got it. That's a very thorough answer. That's very good. Um, before we uh, talk about how our listeners can reach out to you, what's a, what's a book or two besides your own that you could recommend for my audience? Okay, so when it comes to economics, because that was one of my big lessons, I would really follow the Principles for a Changing World Order by Ray Dalio. He's someone who thinks very big picture and and helps understand um, what kind of shifts are happening in the world and in demographics um, in order to help you understand how those things could impact your investing. Another one is um, The End of the World is Just the Beginning by Zahn. It's a newer book that also really talks a a lot about uh, demographic shifts. Um, Another book, two others that I'll recommend. One is more of a personal book, and it's called Life and Air. And it really talks about creating your life by design, living the life that you want today, not having to wait for the future to live it. Uh, Highly recommend that. And then in terms of um, real estate investing, if you're a multifamily investor, there's a great book that's still one of my favorites. It's the only book I ever read before I started this path of this 10-year journey to create wealth. And it was Dave Lindahl's Multifamily Millions. And to this day, it's it's a great reference book to just show you what's possible and how you can create uh, great wealth through multifamily investing. That's fantastic. Yeah. You've uh, you've made this interview very easy for me. <laughs> uh, it's you're very well uh, well spoken and you've offered a ton of knowledge for the listener out there. And thank uh, again, thank you thank you for joining us. Congrats on all the success. I know it's been a ton of ton of work. Um for a listener who does want to reach out to you, where can they find you online? Great. So if you're an accredited investor and you're looking for passive real estate investments, you can find me at greaterpurposecapital.com for our opportunities there. And if you're looking for a coach or a mentor um, to help you through various types of real estate investing, uh, the things that I have experience with, you can find me on my website at reimom.com and send me a friend request on social media at Anna Kelly, REI Mom. Perfect. Yeah, that's really what it boils down to is active and passive. I've found that in my own mortgage note business is, you know, um, so that's that's, uh, another strategic move on your part for sure. So to our listener out there, I highly recommend you follow Anna and reach out to her if if you're either either active or passive or just want to learn more about multifamily syndications and and, uh, all the you know, the lessons that Anna has learned through her ups and downs along this journey. So um, Anna, thank you so much again for joining us. Really appreciate your time. You're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And to our listener out there, we really appreciate your time, which is your most valuable asset. We appreciate you spending that resource with us. Please do like and share primarily share the show. If you like this episode, if you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. That goes a long way for us. Um, Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thank you for spending your most valuable resource with us, your time. 
If you like the show, please share it with your friends and fellow podcast listeners. One entrepreneur at a time, we can change the world. See you next time. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, inspiring stories of mental, physical, and financial transformation. Available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, these stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, this book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.